0: Hey everyone, this is Dave Cabin of the RotoViz Fantasy Football Show. I'm pumped to let you know that we have an exclusive trailer to share with you after today's show... From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal Stories of Soccer Legends. Narrated by fellow Blue Wire host Brandon Kelly, each Monday, two new episodes will take a look into some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that defined their careers. From Holland, Zlatan, Messi, Rapino, and many more. Each episode will focus in on the historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So stay tuned after the episode and listen to Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends wherever you get your podcasts.
1: What's up, Roto
0: Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Bet Online and the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. Matt is once again unavailable due to his move. However, we have a fantastic guest for this week's episode. He's the editor in chief at FanDuel and Number Fire, host of the Late Round Podcast, and one half of Living the Stream. You know him as the late round quarterback, and that, of course, is J.J. Zacharyson. J.J., how are you doing?
2: I'm good. I'm good. As As good as I could be, given current circumstances, but I'm good.
0: Nice. Um, well, you are filling in for the... Unavailable Matt Friedman. I'd imagine that your confidence is high. Do you think you're going to be able to do this filling in job for him?
2: I, probably. I mean, look, Fre- Friedman is like like the the pinnacle of of podcasting. So it's gonna be it's gonna to be tough to to fill in and and be anything, uh, even a fraction of Friedman.
0: Yes. Well, I would like to think that um you know you have a lot of experience in podcasting with Denny. You're probably used to a lot of um you know odd situations occurring. Um. <laughs> So I've been listening to Liv- Living the Stream for a long time. A huge fan. I actually had um, advertised some of my draft tools on your guys' show before. And one of the best things ever was when somebody sent Denny a message that was like, uh, "When are you going to do that job butchering that ad read for that draft tool again?"
2: <laughs> yeah, he, it's hilarious that he was always the one that did the ad reads because he he is not the uh, the best at reading them.
0: <laughs> All right, well. So Before we get into the football topics, we're recording this on July 1st, so this is going to come out, um, most of you will be listening, I think, well past July 6th, so if anything we say is outdated, that is why. Um, But JJ, I got to ask, you've been calling virtual Madden games, what has that been like and how tough of a task is it?
2: It's been interesting because I'm definitely not the broadcaster type or the broadcasting type. Um, I'm definitely more of the the podcaster. You know, wear gym shorts every day, not very buttoned up, uh, kind of kind of personality slash person. Um, So it's been interesting. But luckily, I have Jim Sonis who has that background, has been a radio guy in the past, etc. So it's been nice to to be able to have him sort of carry things, and I'm just there to basically make fun of what's going on on the field from like a from like a graphics and like, you know, you know, like between the plays standpoint. Um, yeah. So that, that's that's the fun part is I get to to poke fun at, uh, you know, Andy Reid being a lot thinner than he is in real life in that game or or they have Bill Belichick because uh, because he's not part of like the union or whatever that they, they have for for Madden. You know, we, we never have Bill Belichick in the game. He looks like Jimmy Garoppolo's brother in, in that game. Uh, so it's just fun making fun of that kind of stuff, you know, as opposed to really digging deep into like, the play by play with with
0: Madden. Yeah. So do you have a newfound uh, respect for Jason Witten?
2: Yeah, I do, actually. I mean, look, I always thought that it was a a lot more difficult of a job than people give those guys credit for, whether it be Booger even or or Jason Witten. It's not an easy thing. And it's even not even very easy, you know, doing a couple hours worth of Madden streaming a week. So, yeah, I give props to those guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, I believe it. Um, I've tried a couple of times my hand at just muting a game and seeing how I how I would do, and it's 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 not pretty. Yeah. So, um, I I can definitely understand that. Um, we are gonna take a quick look here, though, at some stats that are gonna lead into our next question with the FFPC stat attack. It is time for this week's FFPC stat attack. Today we are talking about Cam Newton, who in 2018, his last full season was the QB 11 in points per game, QB 4 in rush yards, 10 in completion percentage, and 14 in touchdown passes. QB 1 in 50% of weeks, and quarterback a QB 2 in 31%, also finished as the QB 1 in 2015. Before we talk about Cam, a reminder that the FFPC is home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry, including Dynasty, Best Ball, and of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. To learn more or to join a league, head to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. And of course, we've got a handful of tools at Rotoviz designed specifically for FFPC domination. So with the way that our recordings have fallen, we haven't talked about the Cam Newton to New England move yet on the show. Listeners will have had a lot of time to digest this by the time they listen to it. But JJ, what are your thoughts about this move? Give us maybe your real football perspective first and then the fantasy spin.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think from a real football perspective, it's good because they're not having to start Jared Stidham and, and the question marks around Jared Stidham. I mean, we've already seen the markets move and the, you know, the the Patriots are, are much stronger favorites, even in the AFC than they were before. Um, and it's because Cam Newton has shown that ceiling in the past. And we know that, that he's a strong quarterback. You know what? When a, from a fantasy perspective, when this whole move first went down, um, I thought there was basically no way that he would be a, a top 10 quarterback. Just just my natural first reaction because there's plenty of question marks around him right now, right? There's a new team, a new system that's always been talked about as being this really difficult system to learn. You have new pass catchers. You have this weird camp structure because of uh, coronavirus. Uh, you have his injuries that he's dealing with. There's just a lot of, of question marks around Cam Newton. Um, but drafting quarterback slate is all about upside. So it took a step back um, and we've seen what Cam has done historically. You know, you mentioned it already with some of those stats. Um, we know that he has that that kind of top five upside. Essentially, when he's played a full season, 15 or 16 games, he's been a top four quarterback in three or four of those five seasons. So we know that the, the upside is there and the potential is there. My projections ended up having him at like QB 17 or so because they were a little bit conservative, um, but you can rank him higher than that because you know that Once you get to that point in the draft, which we don't know exactly where his market value is going to land at this point, but once you get to the later rounds of your draft, you really should be shooting for upside anyway.
0: Yeah, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. So he actually fell out pretty low in my projections as well. Um, I had him at 23 passing touchdowns, only 3,600 passing yards, and a lot of that goes back to being conservative. The one issue that I had was in the rushing volume. Um, I only got him to about 250 yards and three rushing touchdowns, which feels low. Uh, so I wonder if I'm almost being like too conservative. Do do those numbers feel a little off to you? Do you think we should expect more? I had a little bit
2: more. I think I had him at like 400 ish rushing yards, um, and and a bump in the, in the probably, I mean, I would assume a bump in the, the rushing attempts department then too. And then I had him at four to five rushing touchdowns. So that's probably the difference then between where our projections would have landed, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that there there are question marks though to that projection in general. It's very, very tough uh to to look at that situation and say, how exactly do I want to approach this from a projection standpoint? Because realistically, I do try to be at times a little bit more aggressive with quarterbacks in looking at range of outcomes because I really care about that upside even more so um just given where where their costs generally sit, right? Um and, yep. and so that's that's sort of how I'm approaching it with Cam and how I'm gonna look at it. Because I do think realistically if things come together, you know, he could, you know, we don't have that many later round quarterbacks right now that have that rushing juice. And he's there now, you know, he's one of those guys because the market's become so efficient with these guys who can both throw in run um, that we, we finally have a a later round quarterback who fits the Konami code model, right? (laughs) The the cheat code model. Um, So I I think he's, he's going to be attractive from that standpoint. But like I said, it's all going to come down to how the market shifts and where his ADP ends up landing over the next week or so.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in my projections, he falls out around players like Ryan Tannehill, Jimmy Mm Garoppolo, even Joe Burrow. And Mm -hmm. when I do think, though, about the upside that Newton could have, it makes me, especially with a depressed ADP, pretty excited about the possibilities and more likely to go at him versus where my projection puts him in a draft. Uh, So with Cam there, um, you know, I think people are going to be curious as it relates to James White, what we can expect. So you have Christian McCaffrey, and I'm not saying that James White is, you know, a player that you can even put in the conversation with McCaffrey, but it will be pointed out that CMC caught 107 passes in 2018 playing with Cam. He had 80 receptions the year prior. Uh, the important thing though, I think, is it might be dangerous to extrapolate those numbers to White because there was not a lot of involvement from running backs in Carolina's passing game prior to McCaffrey being there. Now, to be fair, they didn't have a pass catcher like James White. I don't know if you've looked at this. For me, I think that I was pretty high on James White this season to begin with, and this doesn't by any means... Uh, want me to, or force me to want to move James White down, but I don't know if it gives him a big bump. Where do you stand on that?
2: Yeah, I pretty much agree with you in, in total there. I mean, if you look at uh, the target share that's gone to the running back position in Carolina with CMC in the two seasons that Cam really played, because obviously last year he was only on the field for two games, but uh, 2018, they were ninth in running back uh, target share in 2017. They were fourth. And then like you said, the three years prior to CMC entering the league, they were 31st, 32nd and 31st. and. What this tells me is not so much that we should uh, think that James White won't see any volume. To me, what it says is that Cam is playing into personnel, and personnel is dictating what is going on uh, in terms of target distribution. And we know that James White's a good pass-catching running back. Um, so I think that you know I, I was I was having a conversation with some people on Twitter about this, where uh, you know what is the the true target share projection change with James White and uh, w- for James White with Jarrett Stidham versus Cam Newton. And to me. Maybe you bump James White up like 1%. I mean, it's, it's going to be similar regardless. Um, but the, the thing that that does concern me slightly, I do think the offense is going to be more efficient. Uh, there could be a little bit more touchdown upside, even though Cam will take a lot of the touchdowns that he's adding to that offense. Uh, maybe there's a little bit more there, which would cancel out the fact that because they're a better team, they might not be throwing as much as as what we saw or w- with Stidham or what could have been with Stidham. Um, and so as... As a result, uh, even though James White would have a similar target share, maybe a slightly, slightly better target share, if you want to give Cam the benefit of the doubt with how he utilized Christian McCaffrey, overall, I don't think James White's projection really shifts all that much uh, because the volume, you know, from a pure volume standpoint and the amount of pass attempts they're going to throw might actually decrease with Cam Newton.
0: Yeah, exactly. So for me, how I kind of reacted to this in my projection was I up to the Patriots rushing attempts brought down the passing volume a little bit. And I mean, the thing to keep in mind here is James White in 2017, 72 targets, 2018, 123, 95 targets back in 2019. You look at this receiving depth chart, and it's hard to really subtract those away from him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even if there is a little bit of a change, I don't think that it's something we need to worry too much about. So you've spent a great deal of time as of late doing work on breakout players across positions. We want to know: could you throw us one or two names, our way of players that you think have solid chances of breaking out in 2020?
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the guys who I think is obvious, and a lot of people are on him. I've been on him for a few, you know, since the beginning of the off season, essentially. But it's Deontay Johnson. Um, you know, usually from the research that I did on on breakout wide receivers. These guys are usually coming from ambiguous situations in terms of who the guy in front of them and where he's being drafted. And, and by ambiguous, it's really stating that uh, the average wide receiver in these breakout wide receiver, uh, uh, the teammate of these breakout wide receivers that I looked at uh, is generally drafted in like the fifth round. Juju doesn't fit that completely. Um, but even still, you know, he's not being drafted in the first two rounds. You know, there's not like this, like truly, truly uh, obvious alpha on that team. Um, and Deontay Johnson should at least be able to step in and, and have a role in that offense right away. But also we, we've seen historically these breakout wide receivers be year two guys, uh, which is what Deontay Johnson is year two greater than year three in terms of breakout wide receivers these days. Um, and then they usually had previous season volume. You know, there was something there, some backbone there. Deontay Johnson really fits every single box. I know that and checks every single box. I know that that folks think that his ADP is rising too much and too fast. I get it. But at that point in the draft, you're still looking at an opportunity cost that's not very, very significant because you're still after that round five range. Um, and and to me, he has the type of ceiling that next season we could be talking about Deontay Johnson being, you know, a top three round pick.
0: So I, I think a natural question that people might have is when you're looking for these breakouts, a player like Deontay Johnson, who was a third round pick, but had, you know, a breakout age that only put him in around the 42nd percentile, you know, um. Average forty yard dash, not a lot of the metrics. How much do those type of measurements matter to you after we've already seen that player a year into the league? Is that still factoring into your breakout analysis?
2: Yeah, there's still some of that in there. I I will say though, you know, Deontay Johnson, I think, was overlooked a little bit because he had some of that like pre pre you know second to last college season being still pretty strong, Um, and he had the return juice as well, so he had that extra component to his game. So I think overall, Deontay Johnson in the analytics community was probably not looked at in a prop totally proper way. I think that the process in general, obviously, is not wrong, but um, I do think there were at least pieces to his game where you know we could look at him and say maybe this guy is pretty good. Um, so I still look at that that you know how they they were coming out and how I looked at them in my prospect model, etc. Um, and you can make the same time, kinds of arguments for like a. Mikal Hardman or a Terry McLaurin, but I'm still going to weigh what I saw, you know, in the NFL year one, much, much heavier than, than how these guys were within my prospect model entering the league.
0: Yeah. I think that makes complete sense. So that's uh Deontay Johnson. Were there any other players that you feel like mentioning?
2: Yeah. So I'm, I'm a fan of, of a lot of these rookie running backs because I, you know, we don't always see these day two uh, rookie running backs ending up Uh, In these committees, the way that we saw this year, Um, you know, last season, for instance, we see David Montgomery fall to Chicago, kind of a committee, but he's still I mean, if you look at his redraft ADP, he was in the third round a lot and into the fourth round, because a lot of people projected and rightfully so that he would get a pretty significant piece of that backfield. Um, But what I think we're going to see this season is these sort of depressed costs because these guys are walking into these what appear to be muddied backfields. But as the season wears on, talent's going to win out and these guys can capture you know the totality of the backfield and, and end up performing as a result. And uh, given the, the breakout running back uh, study that I did, what I found is guys who were drafted after round five, uh, which is the, the breakout running back subset who far exceeded their ADP by 100 or more points. Um, those players generally uh, had a disproportionate amount of targets versus attempts so they were pass catchers like very obvious pass catchers. Um, and, and if you look at the landscape in the rookie running back landscape, I think two guys really stand out to me one of them being very very late, which is Antonio Gibson um, in, in a backfield that doesn't really have any stability. Um, you know you have the the old Adrian Peterson, you have the the constantly banged up Darius Geis and Antonio Gibson obviously having the freak athletic profile that he has he's a very intriguing Pass catching running back for Washington, and then I'm still I'm still part of it, it's it's weird I don't always feel this way but this is one rookie that I would rather have almost in redraft than in dynasty because of the opportunity cost involved in getting him and it's Keyshawn Vaughn um you know we're seeing Rojo now be drafted ahead of him pretty consistently um but to me Vaughn is the right kind of bet that you want to make in fantasy drafts because. Uh, he's walking into a situation where he should be the pass catcher. We know Rojo has had strugg- has struggled being uh, playing that role and having that role basically since college. I mean, we, we saw him come out of, of college without a very high reception share, um, but then he struggled at, with it at the NFL level. And then uh, you know during the offseason, we hear Bruce Arians say that they want a three-down back who can catch passes. And then what do they do? They go out, and their next action that they make is to get a running back in the third round, and Keyshawn Vaughn, who... My model did like, because uh, he was a pretty productive guy in terms of market share, um, and he has the right size, he has decent enough speed. Uh, he's sort of a jack of all trades, master of none, which is fine. But you know, our evaluations are often going to be wrong to begin with. So what happens if Keyshawn Vaughn is just better than what we expect. Um, and so I think he's the right bet to make just because his, you know, he's not a fifth round pick. He's not a fourth round pick. You know, he's being drafted in the seventh, eighth round. And, and taking on that cost is not that significant. So I'm cool with throwing those darts at Keyshawn Vaughn and hoping that he hits.
0: Nice. So Keyshawn Vaughn actually was one of those players heading into the draft that I was really high on for some of the reasons you mentioned. He also had one of the strongest scores in our breakaway rush metric that we developed this year, which is actually maybe the most predictive thing that we have is, you know, of course, things can only be so predictive with these running back prospects. So then I was somewhat disappointed um, just in that so many people when he got taken in round three started to reach on him, but we are seeing that ADP kind of level out in the seventh, eighth round certainly makes sense. Now it's interesting, Antonio Gibson um on that depth chart is easy to forget about, but I like that you bring him up. I mean, a 43940, tremendous athlete. You know, there's a lot to like there. And you look at that cast of players that he's with, you can certainly see the path to opportunity. Now, the Redskins are a team that are going to need to take a step forward on the show. We've talked about teams that could take a step forward. Of course, I think it's probably important to spend some time on the other side of the coin. So are there teams that you're worried about falling backward in 2020? And if so, which players uh, would that have the biggest impact on?
2: Yeah. So I think an easy go-to here for me is Tennessee. Um, Mostly because there's some obvious regression that's gonna hit that offense. Uh, you know, last season when Ryan Tannehill took over, they ended up with thirty three drives that ended up in a touchdown versus just four field goals. Um they had by far the the highest percentage of touchdowns on trips to the Red Zone last year, which is bound to regress. So that offense in general, and Ryan Tannehill had a had a, just crazy efficiency numbers across the board, too. that's just gonna be very difficult to maintain and keep up, especially as teams are are now used to Ryan Tannehill being their starter. You know some pieces in the offensive line changed as well. Um so I would expect fewer touchdowns for that offense in general, but I, I do think that cost is sort of being embedded in uh what we would see as as regression and and the offense not being as efficient this season compared to last. You know, Ryan Tannehill was a, a top three quarterback once he took over last season in fantasy and now you can get him as a as a lower end QB too often. So I, I think that the the fantasy community recognizes uh, th- this regression, but even guys like AJ Brown, you know, AJ Brown's one of my favorite uh, targets in, in dynasty, of course. I mean, he has, he has all the upside in the world and all the potential. Um, but AJ Brown is someone who it's hard to see where that true ceiling is going to come from because you know that this offense is going to be pretty run heavy. And then if you see the efficiency dip uh, from, from just natural regression and, and that the offense, maybe not being as strong, um, it's going to be hard from a redraft perspective to get him where he's being drafted, given all the really strong wide receivers being drafted in that area. So I do see the Titans not being as good offensively. And as a result, it's going to hurt. You know, I think that that AJ Brown's the most reasonable player to target there and to talk about just because, you know, there's basically three guys that you would want to talk about in that offense that that are that are uh, relevant. Maybe John U. Smith a little bit, too. Um, but with AJ Brown, you know, his, his cost is just it's it, it's at a point where. Uh, you might not feel super, super confident just given all of the things working against this offense.
0: Yeah, I agree with that because Brown is one of those guys who when I think about it in my mind, I want to have somewhere around like wide receiver 15, but then you start looking through um, the different numbers on that team doing your projections and you can see that, you know, it's not even clear that he gets to 120 targets. Yeah. So without being supremely efficient, that's a tough, um, you know, group of players to to find his way um, up into the rankings with. Uh, so I can definitely get that. Now, do you have any concern? I think if we're talking about teams that might take a step backward in 2020, you have to also include Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Any concern there? Tons of concern. Yeah, okay.
1: yeah. Uh, so the Ravens
2: had 58 offensive touchdowns last year, and what we've seen historically, teams with that many ta- that many offensive touchdowns uh, or greater uh, since 2011. The average drop the next season, the average total touchdowns that those teams have the next year is 47. So we're looking at, you know, a potential double digit touchdown drop. And then on top of that, you know, Baltimore saw so many positive game scripts last year. They only ran like 21% of their offensive plays while trailing. Uh, That's going to regress. So, you know, you you might see a pass to rush ratio that's still going to be under one. You know, I would still expect them to be more run heavy than or, or have more runs than passes this year. Uh, but they'll be a little bit more pass friendly. And then on top of that, they were just so incredibly efficient where Lamar Jackson has this 9% touchdown rate last year, second best in NFL history. Generally speaking, guys who have over an 8% touchdown rate, so even way lower than where Lamar Jackson was at, that drops by about three percentage points or so the following season. So if you give Lamar Jackson uh, a 6% touchdown rate based on what he did last year, that's 12 fewer passing touchdowns going around in that offense. Now, that might be benefiting, you know, the, the run game and Lamar Jackson on the ground. But the problem is what I said earlier with the, the total offensive touchdowns dropping as well. Um, it just it just means that overall, you know, the offense just isn't going to be as electric and, and as efficient and converting touchdowns at such a rate as what we saw in 2019.
0: Yeah, that could be a problem for a player like Mark Andrews, who a lot of people have approaching that tier one tight end kind of range, had 10 receiving touchdowns last year. But, um, you know, it's hard to imagine getting to 10, even eight feels like it could be aggressive. Uh, so in terms of a player like Andrews, is he in that tier one tight end conversation for you or do you maybe have Kittle and Kelsey and maybe even Ertz in a class of their own? Yeah, so I have Andrews as my tight
2: end three, but it's a pretty big gap between Kelsey and Kittle and then Andrews for the reasons that you know we just talked about. I just I I don't know if you know the, the volume might increase a bit just naturally because of you know they they were so run heavy last season. But, you know, like you said, the efficiency is probably not gonna be as strong. And then his touchdown totals, it's gonna be really hard to repeat what he did last season.
0: Yep. So I like to ask everyone that comes on the show about their hometown teams. So last year, Matt and I were about as high as anybody on Juju. We remain high. Can we pencil him in as a wide receiver one in 2020? Is that a guarantee?
2: I don't know if it's a guarantee because of what we saw last year, there's at least something in our minds that says, what if this is more so what Juju is when he doesn't have Antonio Brown. But what I will say is if you're, if you're high on Deontay Johnson, which I already talked about, I am high on Deontay Johnson. If you're high on Deontay Johnson, that should make you feel better about Juju because he has that outside threat now. Um, he's going to be able to be locked into the slot and play that slot role, um, and and that's good. You know, we we know that that Ben uh, ended up targeting him at a high rate there, that he was very very effective there. I have him, I have Juju at like wide receiver thirteen or so right now, so I'm I'm right there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think that he's a great great pick, and we know also. With Pittsburgh, with Ben Roethlisberger over the last half decade, essentially, they've been a really pass-heavy team. Um, that changed last year, of course, because they, they didn't have that piece behind center under center. Um, but with Ben, we're going to see a more pass-heavy approach, and that's just going to help all of the pass catchers in the offense.
0: Yeah. So that brings me to my next question, which was what about the workload that goes to James Conner? So we can even operate in this framework of, you know, maybe things go back to Pittsburgh being a bit more of a pass heavy type of team, but some people are concerned about Conner really getting the majority of the rushing work or being like a real, you know, workhorse back. Is that still a possibility? Are you kind of expecting things to change and there be somewhat of a more even distribution in the backfield?
2: I think it can go in a lot of different directions, but I think that it's baked into his ADP right now. You know, if 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 James Conner were guaranteed to have that that Pittsburgh workhorse workload, he would be probably a one-two-turn draft pick in fantasy. Um, and, and he's obviously not right now because there's a lot of worry about injury, and then there's worry about to me, the, the biggest threat to James Conner is Anthony McFarlane and what he's going to be and provide into that offense because McFarlane is unlike any other running back they really have on that team where he's super fast uh, and he can he can play that change of pace more than any other back that they've had since James Conner uh, became starter there. Uh, so I do worry about McFarlane maybe taking some of that receiving role from James Conner and being a, a bigger threat to be a, a true change of back and seeing the field maybe on every three Uh, drives as opposed to to Connor being that true workhorse. But again, I think that's all baked into Connor's ADP right now. Because again, if we were guaranteed that Connor would be seeing this huge workload, his ADP would be a round or two higher.
0: Yeah, that's very true. So I've kind of always, and I'm sure a lot of people have thought about the Pittsburgh backfield as one that has a lot of value. This is starting to be a little bit different of a Steelers team than, you know, maybe it was five years ago. Do you still view this as a team where that backfield from a fantasy perspective is a very valuable place for a player to find himself?
2: I do, yeah. I mean, I I still think that Pittsburgh, you know, they might not project to be like a top ten offense, but I still think they're like a top half offense. um, And and the offensive line is still strong. Um, I, 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 there's still, you know, the the target distribution in the offense too. It's not like they they have a ton of pass catchers that are going to demand a twenty plus percent target share. I think that we can pencil in Juju and Deontay to get to that point, um, but there's not a ton of competition there either. So I do think that there's plenty of opportunity. For whoever's in that backfield to still be that workhorse. And in the end, it's gonna come down to how this coaching staff really views that role. I know historically we've seen Le'Veon Bell, D'Angelo Williams, and James Conner under Tomlin, under this regime, uh, you know, be the the bell cow that that we love in fantasy football. I will say the caveat to that though is that who else are they gonna put in than Le'Veon Bell during his prime? And then when Le'Veon Bell gets hurt, D'Angelo Williams, there's no one really behind him that could split the backfield and then when the holdout happens, James Conner steps in and James Conner balls out. So it's one of those situations where you know they're not going to to split a backfield when they they have what they see as true workhorses. So I do think that, that you can play into that a little bit. But at the same time, if I'm buying into upside, I'm buying into the fact that we've seen them have these bell cow backs. The offensive line still should be strong. They should still be a top half offense. There's not a ton of competition either. so I, I still think that you can buy into his ADP despite some of the the downside. I mean that that's why his ADP is where it's at.
0: Well, this is all stuff that I like to hear as somebody that always enjoys targeting uh, Steelers players in drafts. We're gonna take a quick word to hear from our sponsor bet online. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back and Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they've simulated NFL, NBA and UFC simulations all day every day live on their website. Looking for something other than sports, Bet Online has hundreds of games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use the promo code BlueWire for a free welcome bonus. That's one word BlueWire. Bet Online, your online wagering experts.
2: Hello, folks. Colm Kelly here from RotoViz Overtime, a podcast I host along with Sean Siegel. And in just a little moment, we'll jump straight into the podcast. Before we do so, I want to let you know as a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% of a RotoViz NFL pass right now on the RotoViz.com website. It gives you access to all of our content and tools. It sets you up perfect for the NFL season. All you have to do is add the code 2020RVRadio at checkout or by going to RotoViz.com forward slash podcast for more information. And of course, while you're listening to the podcast on the network, helps us out a lot if you can write and review on your favorite podcast app. I really do appreciate that. As I mentioned at the start, of biz Overtime with Sean Siegel twice a week. If you haven't already checked it out, be sure to do so after this show. But let's get straight into it. Enjoy the podcast.
0: All right, JJ. The two rookie running backs getting the most hype as we head into 2020 are naturally Clyde Edwards Hilaire and Jonathan Taylor. Who scores more points in 2020?
2: Man, I, I do think that it's that it's Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Um, but it wouldn't shock me if it ends up being Jonathan Taylor. This is another situation like I talked about earlier with these ambiguous backfields and these guys, you know, walking into to committees, uh, where I wouldn't be shocked at all if Jonathan Taylor Just grabs hold of that job after like week five, right? Where the Colts are in it, they're competitive in some way. We know the offensive line's great, obviously, but they're competitive in some way. They have a run game going, but they can't deny the talent of Jonathan Taylor. And then Marlon Mack becomes a little bit more obsolete. But I do think it's a safer bet to just bet on Clyde Edwards Hilaire because when you build out projections, you're not giving CEH necessarily this massive, massive workload. But when you do give them that massive, massive workload, He's a locked in RB1, locked in (laughs) top 10 running back, top five running back. So uh, to me, it would, you know, the safer bet here is to go CEH, but it wouldn't shock me, you know, if Jonathan Taylor is the one of the two who ends up capturing that backfield by the end of the season.
0: Yeah. So like in my mind, I actually think that Taylor has the higher ceiling, which it sounds like you're kind of on there as well, that it's Taylor has the higher ceiling. Edwards Hilaire has the lower floor, maybe, or is that kind of... No, kind of
2: yeah, I think I think that's true. I mean, the other thing, too, when you look back at like Andy Reid offenses and and how the Chiefs have scored with their running backs since Patrick Mahomes took over, it's a good situation. Don't get me wrong, but they're not scoring so many more fantasy points than any other team that this situation is just so much better than any other situation that you can find in football. Um, So what? again, I, I'm with you. I think that Jonathan Taylor has a better likelihood to to take over that backfield because of competition and because of the way that. They might end up deploying their running backs and and because of that, he would hypothetically have the higher ceiling. But I do think when you when you capture in the the floor ceiling combo and the likelihood of those things hitting, CEH would be the the better bet.
0: Got it. Uh so two rookie wide receivers, Jalen Rager and Justin Jefferson. Who scores more points in twenty twenty?
2: This one's really tough. I think I'm I'm leaning Justin Jefferson here. Um, I don't say it confidently, um, but I, I you know when I first built projections when the Eagles uh, drafted Jalen Rager, I was borderline shocked by how much more crowded it felt and was when I was building them out um, than I expected. Um, but the, the thing with with Philadelphia is there's a lot of uh, of of th- question marks and things that are up in the air with with uh, Alshon Jeffrey, who doesn't look like he's going to be healthy to start the year. Deshaun Jackson, obviously, up there in age, and we don't know what his uh, target workload is going to look like, really. So Jalen Rager has a path, there's no doubt. I just think Justin Jefferson is a much, much safer bet because he's going to walk onto the field right away and he can play the slot right away. He can be, you know, he can he can be the essentially the number two target for that Vikings offense right away. So I'm leaning Jefferson, but I do think Rager would be the guy who has
0: the higher ceiling. JJ or Denny, who sells more copies of the men of the Living <laughs> the Stream calendar in 2020? I mean, easily, Denny. Have you seen that guy's jawline? I mean, it's e- oh my e- god, easily, Denny, easily, Denny. Okay, and not to mention the, the flowing hair. I mean, he's a veritable Adonis these days. Yeah, he's got that hockey hair going now. It's it's easily, Denny. All right, all right. So I'm glad that we got to the bottom of this. Uh, Darren Waller or Evan Engram? Who sell or not? Who sells more? Uh, who scores more fantasy points in 2020?
2: I know I keep playing this like floor to ceiling card. Uh, it's just how I look at fantasy football a little bit, like if things hit for certain guys how how uh you know their path to to upside looks. I do think that if things hit for Evan Ingram, his upside is better than Darren Waller. Uh, I have him ranked actually ahead of Darren waller um but because when i when I built out my projections, Waller didn't look nearly as good as I thought he was gonna look, um but I still think Waller's fine i I, I can't fault anyone for for taking the safety. Um, of Waller over Ingram, who, who hasn't been able to stay on the field. And there are some question marks as to how the targets would be distributed there. I just prefer uh, Ingram, the talent, a little bit more. And I think that's, that's really the tiebreaker. And I see a little bit better of a path to upside.
0: Yeah, that's a really confusing situation that we have there in New York. Yeah. Like, I definitely think Ingram is the more talented player, uh, but there's like more questions about the team in general. But I mean, that is a good point. Like if things break his way, I think it's much easier to envision a higher ceiling for him than there is for Waller. Um, There's two other or two wide receivers though, that I find it very hard to know what to do with them this season. And that is Adam Thielen and also Odell Beckham Jr. So OBJ, I feel like people are viewing as a disappointment the last couple of seasons. He's going to be in that Cleveland offense again, a team that largely underperformed last year. Thielen, it looks like, is going to have a lot more runway now to be that wide receiver one on a weekly basis, given that Stefan Diggs isn't there. Who do you feel better about in 2020?
2: I just, I'm leaning Thielen because I feel better about the potential volume output you know there's a lot up in the air with cleveland i do think cleveland's not going to be as run heavy as people think with stefansky because of the way it's, the way the vikings offense ran in neutral game scripts they were faster in pace than we realize and in the vikings last season were good right they had a, a strong defense to be able to play positive game scripts um, whereas we're, we might not see that in cleveland so the, the, the game script advantage might not be there uh, as, as strongly but the other thing too with obj you know they add austin hooper to that offense uh, there's a new offensive system in general. He's coming off that year last year where where he certainly underperformed, didn't look like his old self. Um, what if Baker Mayfield isn't what we want slash think that he is? Uh, to me, there's just more question marks with OBJ, whereas Adam Thielen, you can make the argument, uh, could end up being top three in targets this year. Um, so to me, I'm, I'm leaning Thielen both from a floor and and honestly, probably from a ceiling standpoint, too.
0: And and the crazy thing to remember about Thielen is 2019, not his best season. You go back to 2018, he finished as a wide receiver one in 50% of weeks and a wide receiver two in 19% of weeks. Now, some of that was loaded towards the beginning of the season, but the point really is that there is the potential for him to be a wide receiver one almost every other week, which I think is something... um, not necessarily reflected in his ADP. So it's hard to overlook. So let's talk about two running backs now that find themselves on new teams, both players where there might be injury concerns, getting older. It's a little unsure what we can expect from them. And you have David Johnson and Todd Gurley, who scores more points in 2020.
2: I, I'm leaning gurley here. Um, I, I really am a believer. so it's interesting because last year, you know, I entered the, the season saying avoid gurley, don't draft Todd Gurley. And it was it was strictly from a, a, an injury standpoint, where if we knew going into the year that he was gonna have sort of this capped workload, then it didn't make sense to to say that, you know, eighty percent of Todd Gurley would have still been in RB one because we don't know what that really means in terms of what his workload would be. We knew that you know, that was his ceiling then that, that, that because his capped workload, we knew he wasn't going to get any higher than that. So the the thing is though, is that exiting the season, the result was right, but I'm not sure that the process was totally right there. Um, I, I think a lot of what we saw last year with Todd Gurley was offensive line related because they, they switched things up there pretty dramatically. Uh, the offensive line was way worse for, for the Rams. Uh, and then on top of that, the Rams had the lowest target share to the running back position. Uh, which obviously hurt Gurley through the air. Uh, I I do think that uh, part of that might have been because of Todd Gurley because they didn't want to utilize him, they didn't want to hurt his knee, etc. Um, so so maybe there's a talent concern there, but there's certainly a talent concern with David Johnson too. I mean, the last time we saw him, he looked like a shell of himself. Um, so I, I just I, I prefer the situation with Gurley a little bit more, not only uh, because of everything I just mentioned, but uh Duke Johnson's still there for for Houston too. Um and and he could steal some looks through the air. Um and and we don't know exactly how targets are gonna be distributed in Houston, as well as we're going to see and, and how easy it is to project in Atlanta, where they have two really good wide receivers. We know they're gonna see a large, large chunk in target share. Hayden Hirsch probably gets some, and then there's just a lot there for a pass first offense. So I'm bullish on the the potential change and shift that we see in Todd Gurley as a pass catcher this year. that's a main reason why I'm putting him above David Johnson.
0: I can't disagree with that. Um, And, you know, I'm happy to hear you talk about Duke Johnson, a player that Matt and I have been waiting for for years now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it feels like, you know, at some point, a team needs to recognize what he can do. And I think there's many cases where he might be able to do some things the team's expecting David Johnson to do. He might be able to do it better. So, you know, here's to hoping. Um, I'm obligated to ask, though, now. Let's say that things break in a way where Duke Johnson does get involved. How good do you think he could be? Yeah, I mean, look, Duke
2: fits a lot of the criteria that I wrote about when spotting breakout running backs. He was one of the guys that I I talked about on my podcast too about it. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he has like top five upside per se, but I do think that he's one of the candidates that should be able to to exceed his ADP by a decent chunk of points, uh, just given the situation that he's in right now.
0: Love it. Um, so kind of transitioning off of specific players now, um, I want to ask just some like general questions about the fantasy landscape. So we know now there's so much more access to content compared to when you first started writing about fantasy. I think the average player is a lot smarter than they used to be. How much harder is it now just for the average fantasy player to find an edge? Do you think?
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely harder than before. Um, because before you could benefit in drafting both from a strategy perspective, if you were ahead of the game there, or if you were also ahead of the game in player evaluation, you know, there's still a player evaluation edge, but it's not as big because content sites are out there and analysts are out there uh, touting different players where, you know, Joe Schmoe, who, who uh, walks into your draft having not studied anything until the day of, can find lists and they can say, you know, the list can say, Draft Deontay Johnson. Draft Deontay Johnson, um, and so all of a sudden, the guy that you really like, who you studied up for months and said this is why this player is going to break out, all it took was was one blurb for this guy to realize that th- that he should be drafting Deontay Johnson too. Whereas, you know, with strategy, and this is something that like RotoViz does very good with, um, and something that I really, really try to focus on with my work because strategy is something that can't be learned very quickly. Um, it's something that. Uh, you know you you have to have a good feel for and you have to understand the the larger picture and that's a much harder thing to learn in a day right before your draft. So to me, uh, this is just a time to really uh, increase your knowledge from a strategical perspective. you know still do player evaluation, still understand you know who's overrated, who's underrated, but there's just so much more to fantasy football than that. and I think that on the strategy side is where people can really find that edge.
0: I love that because I've always said that like on the surface, fantasy football looks like a game of players just like scrabble looks like a game of, of, of words and letters mm-hmm. but scrabble really like they're really good players it's about the strategy of where they're playing seeing words on the boards how they're playing defense and i think that in a lot of ways new fantasy players can think that it's just about the players but yep. if you don't get the underlying strategy you know it, it's not going to matter how good your evaluation is So you talk a lot about opportunity cost. This is one of my favorite things to hear you talk about, because I always think that this is, um, you know, an area where the points that you and Denny have always made on your podcast really ring true. Um, And it's a thing that we can't overlook. But I want to know, like, what's something that people often miss when considering opportunity cost, or, you know, maybe a way that sometimes you'll hear people talk about it, but you don't think is quite right.
2: Yeah, so I, I think with opportunity costs, the, the big thing that I've always said is that when you make a pick, like let's say that you're making or you're taking Lamar Jackson in round three. When you take Lamar Jackson in round three, you're gonna say, I'm getting the QB1 in fantasy football. Lamar Jackson's gonna provide a thousand points for me this year. This is how good Lamar Jackson is. But what you really should be saying is this is who I'm not drafting when I draft Lamar Jackson, because that's opportunity cost. So what opportunity cost can teach you then is when you're foregoing something uh, significant like that in round three, uh, you can look at where sort of a baseline player is being drafted. And this is where I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly more in favor of like an early tight end approach than an early quarterback approach. So it's a lot easier to discuss this from a quarterback standpoint. Um, but people who are saying I'll draft Lamar Jackson in round two or in round three, you know, they're they're completely ignoring the fact that Lamar Jackson's edge, his weekly points edge that he's giving you, um, you know, let's say that he gives you ba- versus a baseline player a point edge of ten points a week, uh, which is significant. But let's just assume that that's the you know the the point edge that he's giving and providing. Yep. Uh, If you're getting a quarterback in the late rounds, in round 12, or round 13, and that's where the baseline player is being drafted, that means Lamar Jackson's advantage that he's giving you is stretching across nine rounds. So that opportunity cost in getting Lamar Jackson is more significant because you're foregoing other players whose baseline players are being drafted in round six. So the advantage that the running backs and the wide receivers are, are giving you over their competition, maybe Lamar Jackson over his baseline is giving you 10 points. And a wide receiver and a running back is giving you nine points, let's say. But you have to factor in where these players are being drafted. Where's the baseline guy getting drafted? If the baseline guy at running back and wide receiver is being drafted in round six, then you should be drafting the running back and the wide receiver uh, because that, that, that point uh, advantage is not being stretched across so many rounds. And that's essentially what opportunity cost is teaching you and telling you is that you shouldn't just be focused on who you're getting and the point advantage that person is giving you. You should be looking at what you're foregoing when you make that pick.
0: That's really interesting the way too that you phrase it with the stretching it over rounds because I think that's something that is a little bit harder to conceptualize when you are first thinking about it. Yeah. And there's certainly like that downstream effect of it. Um, all right. Kind of transitioning here, getting to something that, um, and you know, it was interesting. I heard you talking to Pat Fitzmorris on his awesome podcast earlier in the week where you were talking about how when you first started with the late round quarterback stuff, streaming... Wasn't necessarily like a big piece of your process. Am I right on that? Is that the right takeaway?
2: Yeah, I I, the the original late round quarterback ebook barely. I I didn't talk about streaming at all. Um, That's part of the reason why you know when people say, "Oh, where can I buy that?" Don't buy that ebook. It's from 2012. It's completely outdated. There's there's it's it's not very good. Um, You know, it was fine at the time given all the information that we had available and all of that. Um, But at this point you know, streaming back then wasn't even remotely a thing. It really wasn't the thing for, for me and for Denny, you know, starting the Living the Stream podcast basically until the next year after that book was published.
0: Got it. So that, that's actually really interesting. And of course, you guys have had awesome results year over year with streaming quarterbacks. Are there any quarterbacks that you're really excited and looking forward to streaming this season?
2: Yeah. Joe Burrow is the one that's, that stands out most. Um, you know, he's not someone in, in most leagues, you're not going to have to draft Joe Burrow. Um, you know, the most, most leagues in terms of just, you know, like a typical 12 team, 15, 16 round draft, you're not going to need to draft someone like Joe Burrow. Um, but I do think that he's just going to be fun. There's going to be a lot of upside potential <laughs> too. Uh, where, you know, he, he, he utilized his legs a lot in college. He kind of has that sneaky athleticism. We just didn't see that show out because he didn't test so we don't know exactly what that looks like but uh, he has some sneaky athleticism and then Cincinnati last year really threw the ball at a high rate and neutral game scripts um, so it wasn't just you know their, their pass to rush ratio wasn't just because of of uh, them losing so many games and seeing so many negative game scripts and neutral scripts they were really really pass heavy with this new coaching staff so I'm excited to see what happens with Burrow he has all the weapons there that he could ask for got to hope the offensive line can hold up but you know even if it doesn't hold up that might mean more scrambles which means more fantasy points for him
0: love it um Tyrod Taylor I want to talk about here quickly in the Chargers quarterback situation um because I think that it's possible we see Tyrod Taylor playing a significant amount of games in the season you look at how he's performed when he has been a starter from a fantasy perspective he's been very strong so two parter for you here how good do you think Tyrod can be when he is the starter for the Chargers and then if you force are forced to guess how much of the season do you think he plays
2: yeah so it's going to be interesting with any rookie related situation because historically guys who are drafted in the top 10 at the quarterback position generally see the field pretty quickly even even when we don't think they're going to see the field you know Daniel Jones is a really good example of that where um, you know, he just ends up seeing, you know, getting on the field uh, quicker than, than imagined. Um, but we see that all the time, you know, year after year. And, and so, from that perspective, I would say maybe Tyrod's only playing four or five games. But I think that we're in a scenario that's so unique and so different um, in terms of the coronavirus and the pandemic stuff and, and them not seeing as many preseason games and not maybe camp has changed and, and different as well. Um, and so, from that, you could see a scenario where Tyrod plays more games. Um, And if he is on the field, you know, I can see him being a fringe QB one for sure. Uh, The problem is that's usually sort of a replaceable uh, position and and positioning. Um, You know, like you said, we've we've streamed pretty successfully over the years where we're getting between a QB six and a QB eight yearly in terms of points per game. So um, from that standpoint, I just don't know if Tyrod is quite there. Um, But I, I do think that you can use him, certainly if he's starting as part of sort of your Frankenstein streamer.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll take that. I'll take that. I think that is that is true, though, too, that even if he is good, he's not going to be good enough, that it really matters. But I can't help myself from getting excited I about Tyrod. Yeah, Tyrod's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, love it. Um, All right, we do have time for a couple extra questions here. In my mind, I, I kind of frame these as the bonus questions, so I'm pumped that we, we have time for them. If you managed a single fantasy team in 2020 and you could only have one of Keenan Allen or DJ Chark, who would you prefer?
2: I would go with DJ Chark. Um, I, I won't lie. When I built out my Chargers projections, every single guy essentially was lower than ADP. Uh, within the Chargers offense, I'm just not very bullish on them. You know, just given some of the numbers that I look at uh, and so on. So I'm gonna lean DJ Chark there, where I, I feel confident about his target share being, you know, relatively similar. Um, to, to Keenan Allen's. Um, I don't love the situation at all for Jacksonville, but I love the trajectory for DJ Chark.
0: Got it. Allen Robinson or DJ Moore?
2: DJ Moore. I, I think we we're gonna see a lot of pass attempts for Carolina. Not only do they have uh tough divisional opponents with Tom Brady there now and then Drew Brees and Matt Ryan, which could force negative game scripts, but Carolina might have the worst defense in the NFL that we've seen, maybe even over the last like half decade or so. So I think we're gonna see a lot of, of uh negative game scripts, a lot of passing for that Carolina attack. i also you have the the new uh, system that could be pass heavy. So I'm going to lean DJ more, but I, I love me some Allen Robinson too.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. Um, Aaron Jones or Miles Sanders. Obviously we have Sanders as the player that people are hoping is really going to ascend and take the league by storm. And Aaron Jones, the player that we are expecting <laughs> to see some regression toward the mean. Yeah, man,
2: I love Miles Sanders. I'm all about Miles Sanders. Um, you know, we we look historically at Doug Peterson's offenses, and and we haven't seen these uh, workhorse bell cow running backs, but he hasn't had anyone like Miles Sanders before in the past. Um, and we've already seen plenty of reports saying that, you know, Miles Sanders will be the bell cow in that offense. And if that's the case, we saw down the stretch last year how good he can be in fantasy. Um, there's just a lot more upside potential for me for Miles Sanders. I think that this, this could be, we could be looking at and talking about right now this year's Dalvin cook.
0: Oh, I like to hear that. Cause the thing is we don't even really know just how good Miles Sanders might be right. after him playing behind Saquon Barkley. So I hope we get to see it unlocked this year. Uh, Chris Carson, who I have to say, I keep coming back to for so many reasons as a player that I really like, especially at his ADP or James Connor, who we spoke about earlier,
2: yeah, I, I think if Chris Carson were completely healthy and I felt fine about that or better about that, you know, I'll probably feel that way in a month from now, right? Then I would easily lean Carson, uh, who was incredibly undervalued even last season and how he was performing. Um, but I'm gonna just lean Connor given what we talked about earlier. um, and I feel it's it's odd that I feel better about his injury situations right now. <laughs> uh, but but that's kind of where we're at. You know, once I learn more, um, you know, I, I, would, I would probably lean Carson if, if, you know, things are trending up from a health standpoint. Um, but this is not a, you know, going 100% in on Connor versus Carson. This is more of like a
0: 55-45 situation. Got it. Got it. All right, JJ, last question for you. I want your do not draft player of 2020. Who is the one player? And we're going to assume that they go somewhere near their current ADP. Who is that player that you absolutely do not think our listeners should be drafting this season? I'm going to go with Raheem Mostert. Um, you know, historically that RB two range. So we're talking,
2: you know, RB fifteen to RB twenty five ish. Those are some of the worst bets in fantasy football because you can get similar production, you know, in that next tier, the RB three, even some RB four types. Um, and so the RB twos, you know, historically have not been good bets. You have a guy coming off a 27 year old breakout season. Uh, he's actually older than Tevin Coleman, you know, his backfield mate. Um, and, and last season, um, you know, he he was I'm I'm worried about where the where the pass catching ceiling is gonna come from. Last season he only had two games with a ten percent target share. Tevin Coleman had four of those games. He had Tevin Coleman had nine games with a nine percent target share. So then Coleman would be the guy who would see some of the 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 uh receiving work out of the backfield. And sure, Mostert balled out in the in the playoffs, there's no doubt. Um, but people forget that Tevin Coleman was was the locked in starter in the divisional round against Minnesota for San Francisco, and then the next week is when he he hurt that shoulder, and there were question marks as to whether or not he was even going to play the Super Bowl. Um, so I think that that backfield is going to be split more than where you know ADP currently sits. the The touchdown upside certainly there for Mostert, and I think Mostert fits the offense really well. I think he's the right type of back. For the San Francisco offense, I just worry about the pass catching and I don't want to be so reliant on touchdowns with my running backs.
0: Yeah, it's certainly a crazy situation. And I think my favorite piece of that whole take there is the fact that Mostert is actually older than Tevin Coleman, <laughs> yeah, right. which just feels impossible.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: Um. But yeah, that th- those 27 year old breakouts do not happen all the time. Um. So we'll see how that pans out. But hey, huge thanks to JJ for joining us this week. Um, I've listed the places that people can find you, but why don't you just run them down for us again?
2: Sure. Yeah. Uh, I have my podcast, the late round podcast. I'm on Twitter at late round QB. And then all my written stuff is over on number fire. And if you want to, you can also listen to my other podcasts, living the stream.
0: <laughs> oh, Hey, so it just occurred to me, uh, this is going to air after July 4th, but do you follow? And, and I am a huge degenerate with this, the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest.
2: Yeah, I, I, I try to every year, at least. I mean, I'm not like a huge, huge, like looking at it a month prior, but I'm, I'm all about it, you know, day of. Okay. All right. So
0: I've got to get a prediction from you here. Uh, do we get more than 73 hot dogs consumed at this year's contest?
2: I'm going to say no. Um, but who not there the, the one uh, girl who's very, very good and she did the, the, the trial run and she got over 50,
0: I think it was? I believe that is correct. Yes, I will be honest. Uh, I have not followed that side of the equation as closely. Yeah. I've been more of a, uh, you know, Joey Chestnut, Eater sure. X, Badlands Booker, Cookie Jarvis, uh, you know, type of follower.
2: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm just saying if there's a if, if we see 50 hot dogs from a from a girl and then if Chestnut can hit it, it could be a very, very fun. We, America needs this right now. We We need 73 plus hot dogs and 50 plus hot dogs from these people. <laughs>
0: You know, I wonder too if, if if there's any stage fright or something that gets you yeah. know taken away when you're not eating in front of a crowd.
2: Yeah, I, it's either it's going to be either that or I also worry about like lack of adrenaline. You know, if, if if you if you don't have that crowd, what if you you can't get in the zone as well?
0: Yep. All right. Final question for you: Who eats more hot dogs in ten minutes, you or Denny? Easily,
2: me. Easily, like, <laughs> I don't. Would Denny even consume one? I don't
0: know. If he Actually, one. that's it. <laughs> That's a good question. (laughs) Do you know if he's ever had a hot dog?
2: I don't. I don't. That's actually, I was crossing my my mind whenever you asked that. I'm not sure if he's ever
0: consumed one. All right. Well, maybe I will shoot him a message after this and see if he can answer that. (laughs) But uh, anyways, really glad that you uh, got to come on. Appreciate your time. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again in the future.
2: Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Thanks, JJ. That does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com, follow us on Twitter at Dave and at MattFtheOracle. Thanks to Bet Online and the FFPC for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it.
1: This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody up. Messi has got it. From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. And he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapino. From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapino's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair.